So this is uh, the first today. He's now been under the eight, eight precepts and noble silence and practicing. It's uh, good to know why why you want to do this. You know, just to because not everybody's the same. Um, what is it you want from meditation? Then some people want to kind of solve their personal problems, or they want <coughs> to just make life more uh, less, make it less, have less suffering, or they they uh, want to find some kind of personal happiness. Or there's those that want to be liberated from all delusion. And some Buddhism attracts uh, uh, spiritually inclined people, but also people who are not in it for any spiritual reason, but for some kind of personal uh, development. So my my whole interest uh, has always been a spiritual one. The, this is the I, I assumed. Uh, I used to assume that everybody had the same aspiration, and only find out that they don't. <laughs> and so I was quite surprised that that's one of the delusions: is that you think everybody's like you, has the same, has the same desires and the same problems and the same tendencies. It's a you know a modern modern society as I've experienced it is one that increases a sense of makes it in a, a sense of oneself as an individual is very is reinforced you know like the self importance the sense of me what I think and my rights my views my life is is all very much the the uh, the way I was brought up. Uh, it was the emphasis on self-fulfillment, self-realization, success, and uh, and uh, and this leads to a, a, a strong uh, obsessive tendency about oneself as an individual, as a personality. Where say in in Asia, I found that the culture isn't in, in, in say in Northeast Thailand where I lived, the, the attitude was much more kind of uh, connected to to the group and the importance of the family, the village, the society, the the king, the sangha, the uh, and one's duties. Uh, one, perform one's duties, one's responsibilities. Oftentimes, the the kind of important uh, ways of of looking at life in the in Asian society, or probably even at one time in in European society. 
but as we uh, develop more this this sense of uh, democratic rights and uh, modern education and the uh, importance of of how you, who you're connected to and your responsibilities seems to fade out into uh, an obsession with with one's rights and one's views and one's opinions. So this is this is my reflection from my own experience, uh, uh, because I did notice when uh, before I started meditation. Uh, that this this sense of self-importance and individuality and selfishness was making me a uh, very lonely, feeling extremely lonely, uh, because the the obsessions were about me, and and uh, and those those obsessions. Uh, couldn't include other people unless it was somehow uh, some something that uh, reinforced my own sense sense of myself importance. And any threat to that was uh, oftentimes uh, you know you just avoided, dismissed, ran away from people or situations where your your self importance was denied or challenged. Also, you see it in modern life, just the inability for people to stay married for any length of time, or, you know, just the modern, modern society is just, a, you know, a me society. And, uh, and, the, and the sense of self-sacrifice, sacrificing your own rights and desires for the welfare of husband or wife or children, that, that is really old-fashioned way of thinking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fulfill myself, that's what I hear a lot. I want to fulfill myself. I want to really develop myself and fulfill myself. And, and uh, these, these kinds of, of thoughts are quite common in New Age modern life. <coughs> so we notice this. I'm not trying to even, even though it might sound like I'm criticizing it, uh, what I really wanted to just point to, to this as, a, as something to reflect upon, the, the sense of yourself. This, the, because in modern life, oftentimes this, this exaggerated self-importance and this uh, this kind of obsessive selfishness, because it is suffering, it's it's uh, it becomes quite obvious. You know, the, the it, it it sticks out like a sore thumb because it it, uh, it, it there's nothing all that subtle about it. It's quite quite uh, quite glaring when you really start uh, observing uh, listening to yourself listening to your to your emotions and and uh, the uh, views and perceptions that you hold about yourself because even self 
aversion is still an obsession with oneself, isn't it? Even if self-hatred, self-disparagement, self-criticism is still, whether you're you're inflating yourself, thinking yourself is the, the best God's gift to the world, better than all the rest, or you think of yourself as a as mediocre, nobody who who's, uh, doesn't have anything to offer, or you see yourself only in terms of just being a terrible misfit of no value, worthless. It's still self, isn't it? The self-obsession. And self is a condition way of thinking. It's not, it's not natural to, to our state. It's not, you're not born with it, in other words. Like a newborn baby doesn't have a sense of a self. It doesn't have a, it doesn't define itself, doesn't, doesn't uh, uh, think of itself in any way, or, uh, or, or attach to views. Um, it's called a newborn babe is conscious and it has uh, and it operates uh, a kind of instinctual intelligence that it, 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 it their babies are intelligent and they an instinct is what uh, self-preservation is there because uh, that's a unnecessary condition for survival and then after you're born then you acquire no you acquire your the sense of yourself, your worth, your uh, importance or unimportance. This is a time also where where we the sense of ourself is is very people we write uh, you know about ourselves. People are very into busy writing their autobiographies. Uh, everybody wants to publish the, the story of their lives for everyone else to read. So, so we get, you know, a, a glut of, of silly autobiographies about, and, and, and confess all kind of uh, talk shows and that, uh, where you where you confess to every uh, to, to all the kind of interesting scandalous behavior that you might have committed because it's it's a, a sense of oneself isn't it if you're just a boring person that hasn't committed adultery or robbed a bank or killed somebody <laughs> You don't have any weird sexual hang-ups or anything like that, and nobody's interested. You can nobody want to read your life story? <laughs> so, in one way, this this highly developed uh, and obsessive concern for one one's individuality. Now that's one concept. I'm an individual. This was very much, uh, say, in my generation in the state. We wanted to 
we didn't want to be like anyone else. I didn't want to be emulate anyone. I didn't want to be like my father. I didn't want to be like anyone else. I wanted to be a unique individual. Have I succeeded? (laughs) 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 So there there weren't any particular role models, uh, you know, in terms of the the standard ones that were held up to me didn't didn't interest me. I didn't want to become uh, like the, the, the ones that that the society and, and one parents kind of expected. Uh, so the, the, this sense of, of me as a unique individual I, I quite liked. I'm unique, I'm not like any, anyone else. Or uh, even, even in the kind of Christian background I had, it was the, the sense of you have a unique individual soul that when you die this soul that is unique, the mine, and not like anybody else's, will will live forever with God. And so that that sounded nice at one time. So one time I rather liked that, you know, the idea of me uh, as a you know as a as a physical person, as an individual. And then when I die, this unique soul will somehow survive. And but then. When you carry the the logic of that further, it doesn't doesn't sound so good, because in, when you start really trying to find who you are, or what you really are, it all falls apart, doesn't it? There's nothing nothing that that you can find uh, that has any lasting or permanent quality that you can sustain or that you. Uh, that you can uh, really, you know, say this is this is what I really am. I'm this. People will become obsessed with various things, and people have identities, don't that they're very obsessed with, uh, you know, and so that they these identities uh, give them a sense of uh, self-importance and something to to hold to and and uh, interpret life through various uh, perceptual habits. But when you break through all those, then what, what is there left? When you stop thinking, when you're not just caught up, up in your emotional uh, habits, and, and are, you know, the body, that that's going to die. You know, it may, the idea that I that I had was that you have some kind of maybe your soul has a kind of ethereal body that that lasts forever. And then I used to wonder, well, if I die at age ninety, will it will it uh, will I have to live forever looking ninety? <laughs> uh, maybe better to die when I. 25 or something, and fairly attractive still, and then you, you know, that way forever. These, these are the, the kind of silliness of that. But, but the, the fact is that, that uh, on the conditioned plane, um, 
the, the, these conditions are forever changing. Emotions. When you really contemplate your emotional habits, any form of greed or lust or desire or anger, hatred, resentment, aversion, jealousy or fear, doubt or worry, anxiety, the whole lot. When you really look at them directly, they have no, they have no substance or no essence. They arise and cease. Nothing to them. But if you're continually just kind of resisting, controlling, then you do develop a strong sense of, of, of being somebody who's having to, you know, who, who you, can, you can hold to a view that you are a permanent personality or a permanent soul. But when you really look at that view, when you contemplate that very viewpoint, it collapses. So many people, when they really discover this, it gets rather frightening because so much uh, commitment to life is based on 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 these kind of uh, the importance of oneself and the, the world that that seems fairly stable and dependable that we're conditioned to believe is reality. And then in meditation, it starts collapsing. And this is where spiritual spirituality is important because uh, just to try it for self-improvement, self-development, and let it, maybe it's better to to uh, develop a, a different, you know, to avoid Buddhism, find something that that uh, that emphasizes the the self uh, that you that you can kind of. Uh, improve and make better. Because in terms of Buddhist meditation, the self is, is merely a conditioned view that is impermanent. Time is another one. We, we are very committed to time as reality. So so that, uh, say, modern society is has a uh, time is 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 worth money, isn't it? You, you can't waste time when you're working. You're making money, um, hourly wages, or you, uh, it, time is your past is important. Your future is important. And we can live our lives solely on that, with that belief in in the reality of time. I was, you know, I this is these are the things I've done in the past. The future is uh, where I hope to um, be successful and find happiness and and get enlightened or or meet the right person or all these or the fear that in the future this lies. Uh, uh, you know, something to dread. Death and old age. Uh, sickness, weakness. Uh, loss, isn't it? We all, uh, the future always implies loss. To We're always going to lose something we love in the future. 
So the future in, in say, when you're young, tends to be much more, you know, the, I've got a lot uh, to look forward to. At least I'm speaking for my generation. I talked to some some young people here in Britain, and and they they don't have that. They see the future as kind of hopeless because uh, they don't have the same, uh, uh, you know, the, it's changed considerably in 50 years. Uh, just the the expectations and and assumptions that that uh, say young people have now than, than say when when I was young. So when I was young, it was very much uh, the future held great promise and uh, for success and fulfillment. Now at o- old age, it's uh, what does the future have for me as a person? Uh, increasing aging, you know, about 20 years left maybe at the most, 20 years, and then uh, and uh, you can feel, you know, the, the body is not not what it used to be, <laughs> and uh, death, and loss, isn't it? You, you lose, you lose your parents, you lose your, you lose your grandparents, your parents, your pet cat and dog, your friends. When Morris Walsh died, you know, there was hardly anybody left for him. All his his uh, peers were were dead, most of them. So your perspective is different when when you're old than say when you're young. The future is 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 uh, say, speaking from my own life, was was had great promise. Now the future doesn't doesn't seem important to me because I don't believe in it anymore. I don't, uh, and it's not because I'm old, but because I've I've meditated and and punctured that illusion of time as reality. That's why in in reflective meditation, when you contemplate the path in terms of right now, I mean, because there's only now, in terms of experience, experience can only be now. Consciousness is now. Enlightenment is now. Knowing is now. Uh, And here and now, Pachubhanatamma, and so the the, we contemplate, for me now, what is the path as a memory that comes up now. I can remember yesterday, I can remember things that happened to me 50 years ago. Now. And so, so the path, in terms of experience, this is what, like when you're reflecting, you're contemplating the way things are, what is the path in terms of experience? Because you can believe, in, you know, in the reality of the past as a kind of permanent person that was born and and grew up and and went to school and and got a job and got married and all that. And then and you can you can assume that that is is actually what's happened. 
But in terms of experience, it's a, it can only be a memory. So we're pointing always to the way things are that we can observe directly now. It's not speculative knowledge or theoretical or abstract, it's direct. When we talk about insight uh, knowledge, jnana dasana is direct knowledge. It's not, it's not uh, knowing about something. but it's, it's knowing directly, this is the way it is. So, in, in contemplating your past, you know, it, it's quite revealing, quite, quite a relief actually, I found, to, to uh, not, not have, not hold on to the past and, and identify with my memories, but to recognize that memory is a function of the mind. And as you get older, your memory is not so good. Sometimes it takes me a while to figure out who's that person. And it ta- you know, where I used to, used to be, I know immediately. Huh. Yes, your name is. Now it's embarrassing because everybody wa- expects me to remember their name. Sometimes I can't. It takes maybe ten minutes. <laughs> or maybe the, the day after I meet them, I remember it. <laughs> or uh, Alzheimer's, you know, you got that one. You can't even remember your own wife or husband. That would be shocking. That's very disturbing for people. Somebody you you've been living with for 60 years uh, says, who are you? (laughs) 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 You can't even remember. (laughs) Anything. So this is, uh, so memory is a conditioned uh, uh, experience, isn't it? It has no, there's no essence in memory. There's no eternal essence or or a real uh, sense of a self that 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 lasts in 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 any memory whatsoever, because memory can be lost. You forget. You can get some disease like Alzheimer's uh, destroys the ability to remember. So the past is is uh, is then seen in terms of dhamma. It's a condition. We, re- we have retentive memory, we remember things, but we also forget. But remembering is always in the present, isn't it? It's remembering. You don't remember uh, and go back to yesterday or last year. You remember now. This helps to you to to see that the to break through the illusion of uh, and the assumptions that you have about about yourself as a personality. Because how many of you suffer a lot about the past? You know the things you should have done, the things you shouldn't have done, <laughs> or you know we can we can endlessly review the past and think you know it's like they say. Hindsight is uh, twenty twenty. In that, 
and you look back and you I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that. That was the wrong decision. I made the I made a mistake. Uh, because we can look back and we can see we can remember. We can see but in, now the future is the unknown in terms of this present moment. Right now experience now say what is the future in terms of experience right now? For all of us. It's the unknown, isn't it? You can you can you can't remember the future. So there's no but you can project into the future, you know. I hope, I expect, I I anticipate, I dread. I want something in the future, and, and so, so the future is always. It's but it basically it's 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 the unknown. It's like like death, isn't it? When you know what is death for us right now? Is it we don't know. We can speculate. You know, the Buddhists believe in rebirth or reincarnation or. We have we have various theories about what happens when somebody dies, but in terms of direct knowing at this moment, we know that we don't know because uh, this at this moment life is like this, consciousness is operating like this, feeling is like this, memory is like this, not knowing is like this, so that this. This uh, this paying attention, say, awakening the mind to the way it is, seeing and and reflecting on the impermanence of condition. Like memories are impermanent, isn't it? All emotional habits and are changing, flowing, moving experiences. Speculating, worrying, planning for the future, hoping, dreading, anticipating are all conditions that we are creating now in regards to future, hopes for the future. But in the but through this kind of reflection then we there's that which is contemplating it, which is reflecting. So there's a part of oneself that isn't that you can't find uh, as a memory, or or you can't you can't get behind it. You can't you can't grasp it. You can only be. You can only be aware. Right now, awareness is like this. The tension. It's it's a, an openness of the mind. Like listening, it's kind of wide and an embracing, paying attention. And that, then, in that state of attention, then you, then your ability to observe the changingness of conditioned phenomena, your, the memories, the the fears, the desires, the 
the emotional habits, the body itself, the sense, uh, senses that, that, that operate, that what you see or hear, smell, taste or touch, uh, all conditioned mental states that are in this moment like this. They're all in the process of changing. So, when we talk about gate to the deathless, in this Aparuta de Sangamatasa Taura, the gate, the gate to the deathless is open. That's the Buddhist statement. Gate to the deathless is open. And then this gate is this point of awareness. Isn't it? That's the gate to the deathless. Now that's an interesting, what's deathless, the Buddha isn't talking about annihilation into a void uh, of nothingness, because that's another idea, isn't it? That's another, uh, annihilation and nihilism are, are, are more ideas that we might favor or not. But in terms of direct experience, direct knowing, this right now, that simple act of attentiveness and as you uh, begin to to recognize it and to trust it then then the the, the sense of a self uh, all the conditioned habits and views and fears and desires then are seen in terms of ceasing and when, when you let everything cease, when you allow things to flow and change according to their nature, and you're not trying to control or favor or manipulate or uh, get rid of anything, you're, you're the observer, the pure state of witnessing and of knowing things as they are. And then when everything ceases, there's left this state, this pure state of being. So, and that has no, no, uh, that has no quality or quantity. It's not something that arises and ceases. It's something you realize as you let go and, uh, and, uh, and trust in your own ability to to realize this deathless reality, this deathless truth. Now from from my own experience, this is you know, people want and want want some kind of verification sometimes. What is is there a deathless state? Or what is it? Is it uh, what is it like? Or do you believe in in, uh, in immortality or things like this? Uh, the, these are the mind starts doubting and questioning. And but this awareness doesn't doesn't go for that anymore. You're not trying to to create some kind of metaphysical doctrines about the nature of, of ultimate truth or nibbana or or the deathless. You're realizing it. 
And this is, so this, this human state, this human condition and karma that we have is actually uh, that we have this, this ability. This is what the Buddha was pointing to. That we have a reflective mind, we can realize ultimate reality for ourselves. That, that's a kind of contradiction, because there's no self. But, but in terms of experience, I can't realize it for you. But, you. but each one of us has this potential, this possibility, and this right. If you're talking about right, you have a right to be enlightened, because you're a human being. And the, the human karma is like this. In that you, you can reflect, you can contemplate your, uh, your own existence, your, you can contemplate the sense of yourself as a person, personality, as an ego. You, you can observe uh, when you know when you're feeling angry or upset, or you know when you're feeling greedy and, and, or frightened or <coughs> jealous. We all know, don't we? Sometimes we don't want to know. <laughs> Remember someone, some, one time I got angry with somebody and, and they said, you're angry. And I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, well, it's so obvious when I thought, when I really observed, I was angry. But, but I was so angry that I didn't want, I didn't want them to say that. So we can we can think. No, I'm not jealous. No, I'm not. I'm not frightened. I'm not this and that. And because we can, uh, we have the ability to delude ourselves. We're very good at that. And to uh, lie to ourselves. But in terms of of really observing, this is this is the the teaching of the Buddha. The awakened mind. The awakened awareness. Now, I, I found that, that when the mind is in this state of awakened awareness, and then I hear this ringing sound, sounds of silence, I call it. So when I, when I listen and tune into that sound of silence, the mind is in this state of, of kind of wide spaciousness, embracing the moment. So that's that's a way of, of knowing when, when your mind is in this state of, of open attention. And and there and in the when the when one is uh, with the sound of silence there's there's that ringing sound, but there's no sense of a self. The, the self has to come up, say the personality has to come up through thought. Is that thinking, I can hear this, then you become somebody who, who hears the sound of silence. But if there's just pure attention, there's no need to, to claim it or to think about it, but it's, just, it's like this. It's like what I might describe as the edge of your mind, of the, where the conditions cease, where your memories cease, where the self drops, where where everything ends. 
because then there's this 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 pure state of of a kind of resonating awareness that includes it's not conditioned by it's not cultural it's not personal it's not conditioned by anything so using that I found very helpful to reflect from because then uh, uh, that works as you as you begin to to uh, tune into that and use that more and more then you 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 find you can sustain it your mind will just rest in that state as you as you cultivate that you keep remembering that sound of silence, learning to sustain attention to that scintillating soundless sound, whatever you want to call it. Then the the doubting mind can come up and say, what is this all about anyway? Or where's it coming from? You know, is it tinnitus? You know, a problem with my ears, or like that. We can start getting, you know, trying to figure it out. But be aware of that—the desire to know it, to figure it out, to have a, to have a some kind of name or or theory or or dogma about it. But this gate to the deathless then, when, when the mind is, when, when, when we have, say, <coughs> when we trust in our ability to awaken, pay attention now, and listen, there's the sense of, of death. That that comes up, but it's it's a it's a concept. The um, the person the 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 emotional habits you have will arise. You know, you still feel uh, emotional uh, experience, but your relation to it now is is <coughs> a witness, a listening, an acknowledgement of it without a grasping without grasping it. All the kind of uh, biases, prejudices, and that that we have, and projections that we make out of habit and out of ignorance, and all that begins to just dissolve. And it's not, there's no, we're not, we're no longer assuming that the the perception I have of you is anything more than just that that arises and ceases in the present. Otherwise, we assume that that that, that my perception of you is that is is a is a reality. This is where we we harm each other a lot because we we hold on to each other through assuming that the memories or the perceptions the view we have about somebody is actually a solid, ongoing 
personality that's like that all the time. When in terms of direct experience, there's it, nothing. It has no. It's very. It's ephemeral. Nothing. Nothing to it. Dissolves in the thin air. When you when you really look at it, observe it. The Buddha, uh, in his in his teaching, is it, it was pointing like in in his uh, first sermon, the Four Noble Truths, pointing to suffering as the first noble truth, because uh, this realm that we are experiencing through the senses is is just that. It's a realm of suffering. That's its nature. And sometimes this sounds very depressing to people because, you know, the, there is a part of us that likes to think it's all wonderful and life is meaningful and it's all about love and fulfillment and happiness. And, and that's, that's uh, you know, there is that side to it. It's not, uh, it's not to deny the beauties and the goodness uh, that we experience. But also, it always changes. You can't find permanent happiness in any condition. No way, it's totally impossible. I mean, you, have, you know, you, find you, you have happy moments, then you can't sustain them. And that wanting, like the kind of way we, we clutch at each other, uh, you know, people will, will want to want somebody else, you know, to, to make them happy. And then, then you 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 find you know when you, when you are together, sometimes you are happy, but it's not always that way. And then uh, then it can be quite miserable because one is is uh, demanding something that's impossible from somebody else. We're all going to die, isn't it? We reflect, all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. In monastic life, we reflect on that a lot. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, (coughs) will become otherwise. You're going to lose everything. You have built, you built this beautiful temple here. In a few years, I'll be dead. <laughs> or uh, whatever I've attached to, you know, in, in terms of, uh, you know, just like, like spending, and I've been 22 years in this country now as a Buddhist monk. And just noticing the amount of suffering that I've experienced, contemplating that through, through you know, see, seeing the sense of loss, of disrobings, of of disappointments, of uh, all the rest. That this is just part of this realm. This is the way this realm is. It's it's about suffering, and you see it, and 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 on everyone, it's the same problem. Whether they're rich or poor or whatever they're their status is, 
male or female or or uh, race, nationality, whatever. This this realm is dukkha, this conditioned, changing realm. Its 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 nature is unsatisfactory. Now that knowing that is is a con- is a relief because then when you really know that and really and not just believe don't believe me don't don't just go along with the party line about suffering but contemplate it in experience and and uh, and just so that you you have that insight into dukkha the causes of dukkha are always that you know we we we're born we have to bear with the with the body and its aging and its death and loss. This is natural to this day. But then I can create suffering out of ignorance onto this. And that's the difference, isn't it? I can hate old age or resent the fact that life hasn't always been fair. I can I can blame somebody. I can blame the society, blame parents, blame the religion, blame myself. This is something I'm creating, isn't it? This blaming. I create that onto experience in the into the what through the through the power of ignorance of not understanding. Then I create suffering, compounding the natural state of unsatisfactoriness with my own obsessions, my own fears and worries and doubts and disappointments. So through reflecting, contemplating on suffering in its causes, grasping of desire, we have insight into letting go of the causes, letting go of desire. So then the natural process operates, the old age, the body still gets old and so forth, but we're not making a problem. It's just the way it is. Nature, all conditions are impermanent, and it's anatta, it's not self. And they don't believe as a party-line Buddhist. But this is where the insight, the vipassana, is, is investigating it. Because you can see it, you can know it directly. It's not, not something that you, you uh, need to believe in if you, if you want to be, be a Buddhist. Or even if you doubt it, if you think maybe I've got it all wrong, then find out for yourself. <laughs> Because this is the Buddha's intention was to be uh, experienced individually by the wise. So this is this suffering then takes us too, as we understand and recognize with wisdom, with attention, isn't it? Mindfulness. Because when right now, there's only the now. 
awake in the mind. The mind is present. It's listening. It's attentive. Then there's wisdom. We can we we reflect. The, the Buddhist teachings are wisdom teachings. So they're just pointing to the way things are. They're not doctrines to grasp. They're they're just pointing to the way it is in terms of the present experience. Well, all conditions are impermanent. That's not a teaching that you grasp or believe in. It's 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 a it's a it's a dhamma. It's a teaching to to uh, that points that helps us to focus and and observe the changingness of conditions because we don't usually observe that we usually you know out of ignorance and and uh, out of our own ignorance we tend to uh, be lost in the quality or the quantity of the condition isn't it we we give importance to whether it's you know, it's beautiful or ugly or pleasant or painful or right or wrong or good or bad or important or trivial, intelligent or stupid. We, 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 uh, we tend to look at, like when you look at yourself, when you're, when you're actually observing during this retreat, do you find yourself getting, making judgments about yourself? Like some some memories or thoughts or emotions rise up during this retreat. And, you, and, you, and it's easy just to say, oh, there I go again, what a stupid thing. I didn't come, I didn't want to come on a retreat and just get caught up with silly thoughts like this. And that's, then, you're just re, then you're just reacting to the, to the quality of the condition. And maybe, it's, maybe it's trivial and stupid and you, you just, and, you, and so you, you just resent having to sit here with something foolish and silly in your, in your consciousness. But if you're, if, you're, if you're paying attention to the way it is, well, the, uh, foolish and silly conditions are impermanent like everything else. You, you, you begin to respond to it through observing its changingness. Because when you really look at it, you don't get, and you don't allow yourself to just, to make a problem or an identity with it, try to see how long you can really sustain a foolish and silly mental state. <laughs> when, you're, when you're not trying to get rid of it, just see how, if you can keep it for very long. It's Hard work, isn't it? It doesn't. I mean, it does seem to last forever. The more you resist it, isn't it? because you're obsessing, you're you're getting obsessed with with it. You're, you're resisting and trying to get rid of it. Then you're you're actually attaching to it. You're, so you're you're hanging on to it. So it does seem to last. You could last the whole retreat because you spent your whole time trying to get rid of it. <coughs> But see, if you, you know, you can really hold on to it and see, you know, try to keep it for as long as you can. So the impermanence is, for all conditions are impermanent, is, is, 
is a, is what the Buddha was pointing to. Because this is this is a characteristic of of phenomena. Mental, physical, psychic, whatever. But that which is aware, which you can't get behind, you can't you can't be aware of being aware. You can only be aware. So when you're trying to say, am I really aware? I want to, am I, can I be aware of being aware? Then you're caught up in, in, uh, in trying to, you've got the idea, but you're grasping the idea of awareness. You're trying to become somebody who is aware. Doesn't work. You can't become somebody who's aware. You can only be this way. So it's an imminent act in the present, isn't it? Right now. It's like, now. You got to listen in. You can hear the resonating sound of silence. The mind is in a state of of awareness. It's awareness is like this. Then, then you can observe. You know, like the, with the four foundations of mindfulness, that teaching the Satipatthana. The body is like this. Well, who's aware of the body? What is it that is aware? Is it my true self? Is it that soul that will live forever with God when I die? <laughs> All that kind of thing doesn't isn't important anymore because the, just the that pure awareness has no personal quality to it. Can't say it. As soon as I say it's mine, then I'm then I'm back into the conditioned realm again, lost in in grasping the idea of me being aware. In the, I've seen a lot of people over the years, monks, nuns, and lay people, you know, never quite break through because because they they never break through the basic illusion of a self. There's still somebody who's ordained, who's become a monk or a nun, who wants to become enlightened. And so they they they, they operate always from the idea of I am uh, uh, this person who uh, has become a monk or a nun, and now I'm or I'm a lay person, or I'm upasak, or pasika, or whatever, and and uh, I've got to get rid of my defilements. I've got to get rid of my uh, uh, faults in order to become a stream enterer or an arahant or something like that. So if you start from ignorance as your basis, then you always end up with suffering as a result. So if you're meditating, if you, if you never kind of penetrate that basic delusion, then even after years of hard work and meditation retreats and monasticism, you end up with suffering as a result. You've not, you've not, you've not seen with wisdom, with insight, the way it really is. 
So the, the immediacy of the Buddha's teaching is that it's, it's awakeness now. It's awakening now. It's not, if I practice now, I'll become awake in the future. Is it? It's like enlightenment now. It's, it's being in that state of awareness and attention now. It's not me becoming enlightened now, but it's being in the state of attention now, trusting in that. Because at first it doesn't, you know, the emotion, it doesn't seem like very much, and emotionally uh, it's quite uh, threatening. So we, 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 we get, it, we, we're more comfortable with the idea of doing something now in order to become something in the future. That, that we can feel secure with. If I work hard now, if I really meditate on this retreat, really work hard, really give myself to it and really practice, you know, and not give in to any kind of weakness. Maybe I will become, I'll have some insights at the end of this retreat or maybe might even have a, uh, you know, stream entry experience. I might attain something. Because we do believe that hard work, you're rewarded for hard work. No, if you really work hard, you're going to be rewarded. And so that's a, another illusion that we, we carry with us. And so people can, can really work hard at meditation because, you know, they're expecting to be rewarded with enlightenment by doing that. And then they're disappointed. <laughs> So they become disillusioned with Buddhism. But recognize that, 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 that the, the, uh, the apparent here and now, when we contemplate the Dhamma, apparent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation, leading onward to be experienced individually by the wise. So it's, it's always, it's about Trusting in your ability to pay attention and listen, observe, and and be willing to to really uh, and not not pass judgment. Not not you don't have to analyze or figure out why you feel like this or why you have these kind of emotions or what's wrong in your past that you that you are like this now. You know, sometimes that's that's quite interesting to do, but it's not necessary because the 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 um, the the uh, important the, the the directness of the teaching is awareness of all conditioned phenomena is impermanent, and as you as you really trust that, and this is, I emphasize, you have to learn to trust yourself, not your emotional habits or your views and opinions, but trust in your own ability to pay attention, to be to be awake. You can do it. It's it's not it's not asking too much. It's something that is is uh, is quite ordinary, quite easy to do. Pay attention. Listen. 
and listen inwardly. Listen to to your own uh, habits. You know, your feelings of frustration or exasperation or doubt, whatever uh, emotions you might be experiencing now. Not to be uh, dismissed or denied, but pay attention to them. They're, they are like this now. It's like this now. And in that reflection, you're also observing that it's like this now, but it doesn't stay like this. When you really look at conditioned phenomena, accepting it for what it is without making judgments about it or touching it, then you see it's changing and it's cessation. It's, uh, It's ending. Some of you might have ideas about, have a lot of views about yourself uh, in terms of, you know, feeling uh, uh, self-critical or doubtful or that you're, you've uh, got too many personal problems or whatever. But even that view is something that you can observe now. When you're in the state of listening, then you, well, you know, I'm, I've done some pretty stupid things. You know, I'm certainly, you know, confused and uh, screwed up man. But you can hear that, can't you? So you're, you're resting in this listening. You're not, you're not, you're not trying to, to uh, build yourself up, tear yourself down, uh, make an issue or a problem about anything. It's just the way it is, that, that this is sometimes these, we, we are confusion, we feel confused and hopeless, but, it, but as soon as we turn the light on to that confusion, as soon as we observe it and accept it, how long can you stay confused? When you're aware of it, and not just trying to get rid of it or, or uh, resist it. So the more you, you kind of <clears throat> shine the light on the conditioned realm, then you actually see for yourself and have that direct note knowing of the way it is. And this is what the Dhamma is, the way it is. All conditions are impermanent. Sapay Sankarani Cha, all, condi- all Sankaras are impermanent. Sapay Tamanata, all the, the ultimate reality, the truth, the deathless reality is not a personal thing. Sapay Tamanata, not, it's not, uh, it's no longer bound into me and mine or an idea, or a concept. It's a real realization of the 
Amatta Dhamma or the deathless reality. So the, the, so contemplate on this retreat, the gate to the deathless is open. Ye soda vanta Sotavanta are those who pay attention. Listeners. All of you who are listening, trust in this. Release, you know, have faith in this. And, 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 and then contemplate, you know, experience during this retreat. You know, all of it, whatever is happening, good or bad, or whether uh, you're feeling tranquil and peaceful or confused and terrible, it doesn't matter. It's not a matter of, of, of the quality, but of your willingness, your, your opportunity to see the changingness, the impermanence of the condition that has reached your consciousness in the present. So I offer this as a reflection.